Good evening to our neighbors and listeners. Coming to you live from the 215 here in Germantown, you are listening to the award-winning Germantown Info Hub Radio Hour. I'm community reporter Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom John. And I'm the community organizer for the Germantown Info Hub, Maleka Fruin, and I live here in Germantown with my family. The Info Hub Radio Hour explores everything happening in Germantown and the city of Philadelphia and covers them in an hour or less. You can check out what's going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org, Twitter and Instagram at gtowninfohub, or on Facebook at Germantown Info Hub. Happy 2024! Germantown Info Hub Radio Hour is back from our winter break. Rashid will join us for our next radio show, but we've got two great guests this week. Before the break, I got a chance to talk to local grief coach Nyla Francis about dealing with grief during the holidays. It was such a good interview with tips that really could apply to any part of the year, so we decided to run the full thing here. Let's start the show. So my name is Nyla Francis, and sometimes I say I've lived many lives or sometimes I'm saying I wear many hats because I'm a grief coach and a deaf midwife, a poet and a writer and an interfaith minister. Um, But primarily I focus on grief work and holding space for people to explore and process their grief, whether that's one-on-one or in community. I'm really trying to sort of move us into being more grief literate as a culture because we have this you know tendency to avoid or push aside turn away think we have to move on and get over it and making space for grief which is such a universal human experience to me is how we stay closer to our humanity and honor our humanity and learn to offer ourselves more compassion and have more compassion for each other. So yeah, I'm really very, very passionate about creating space and holding space for people to touch into their grief and see what really what wisdom it might have to offer them along with healing. I love the phrase grief literate. (laughs) So good. I've never heard that ever. And it's just such a wonderful phrase. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just think we have such limited views of what grief is. Like most of us think grief is just sadness, but grief isn't really an emotion. It's an experience that includes many emotions. And some of those are joy and peace and wonder. It's not all those we would stereotypically consider as negative. So you know, I just, I think there is, there is lots of opportunity and possibility to expand our literacy around grief and to help us know that it's something that we don't have to move on from or rush on from. And it's something that we really need to learn to become skilled at because we're all going to be grieving something at some point if we aren't already. And I feel like to be human is to become intimate with loss in some way and to carry it. (laughs) So so we might as well learn how to carry it with more grace and compassion and empathy and all the things that we find it so hard to offer ourselves. Well, I could see how another part of you is the poet. (laughs) Because you definitely definitely use phrases and sentences like a poet. (laughs) 
Um, I know that one of your uh, titles that, that you mentioned and that I saw on um, online was um, a death midwife. Tell me what a death midwife means to you and what do they handle? Yeah. So for me, I mean, if you break the term apart, it's literally what we're doing, midwifing the death experience. You know, we think so much about birth midwives and birth doulas and how they help people to have the kind of birth that they want. And a death midwife does the same thing, help people to have the kind of death that honors their wishes, honors what they want, honors who they are. And we can do many different things. Some of us work primarily in education, you know, helping people to understand that they don't always have to just turn everything over to a medical institution or a funeral home, that you actually have choice and agency at the end of your life. I mean, as much as possible, barring the circumstances, but you know, if you want to die at home and have a home funeral, that's possible. You know, what do you want to do with your body? Do you want a green burial? Do you want to be cremated? Like, you know, there are other states that have so many more options than we do in Pennsylvania and on the Northeast for different kinds of burials. But how do you want your body to go to science for medical research or so many options? And also, what do you want your death to look like in terms of the people that you want around you? Do you want music? Would it be important to you? So many small details that people never think about, like, would it be important to you to have a window open so that you can actually have fresh air or like maybe the windows near your garden and you want to smell a certain scent? Like, are there things that you would want to eat if you're still able to eat that bring you joy and pleasure? Are there people that you don't want present at your deathbed? Do you want children to be part of your end of life celebration? You know, there's beautiful practices where some people just want their body in a cardboard box and they have children decorate the boxes with drawings and words. And do you want people to tuck letters into that box for you? So there's, there's a lot around the actual death and dying process. And there's also a lot of advanced work in terms of helping people ease their fears and anxieties around dying, helping them, you know, reconcile maybe relationships or chapters of their life that have been really hard to reconcile, helping them think about their legacy and what they want to leave behind to help people get a sense of who they were. And also just the paperwork, like, do you have an advanced directive? Do you know, you know, what you want done in case you become incapacitated? Do you have a power of attorney for your health and your finances and all these things like your passwords, where are all your passwords if people need to find them? Just those details that can be very overwhelming at the end of life. And that if you leave till the end of life, often make the dying process so much more difficult for your loved ones because they're left to sort through and to carry all of that. Or like in the moment when they have to decide something, there's so much tension and friction and emotion that it's, it's hard to to know what to do without you having sort of spelled out your wishes for them and had conversations in advance. That's such a beautiful collection of like small um, details of kind of just like atmosphere and, 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 and what you want to delight in. And at the same time, very realistic logistics. Yeah. Along with the death process. 
Yeah, it often feels very practical, but also very spiritual and emotional at the same time. Like we're offering support on all those levels. Mm-hmm. I get that makes total sense what the death midwife is then. And then um, tell us a little bit more about your grief counseling. What would that entail for a client? So it looks different from client to client. <laughs> um Yeah. I'm so I'm certified as a grief coach. And I think people often, they hear the word coach and they think like, I'm trying to get you to a goal. And I'm like, there aren't really goals in grief. I mean, to me, that takes away from the whole concept of they need to slow down and be compassionate and create space. So I look at it primarily as offering people a space to slow down and drop into their grief. Like when we're grieving in our everyday lives, so many of us are just in survival mode trying to get through the day and we don't have time or space to really think about, well, I don't want to even want to say think about because I'm always like, you can't think your way out of your grief. You have to feel it. So we don't have time to feel our grief, but we also don't have spaces that feel safe and nurturing and non-judgmental to feel our grief. So For me, it's really about that, inviting people into a space where it's okay to come undone. It's okay to say the things they haven't been able to say anywhere else. It's okay to cry. It's okay to question things. It's okay to be mad. And then companioning them with tools and practices along the way that can help them learn to carry their grief, that can help them learn to stay connected to their loved ones if someone they love has died. And that can look like Sometimes I offer meditations and grounding practices. Sometimes I do writing prompts like on the spot, or I might give them writing prompts to take, you know, to sort of like homework (laughs) to take and do in between sessions. Um, I also do Reiki. So some people just want a space to just be sort of nourished by that and rest and, um, I do incorporate if people, cause I do both virtual and in-person. So I do have some shamanic training, so I might incorporate some of that as well if people are open to it. Um, And a lot of it is just being a witness too. I think people underestimate how healing it is to have somebody witness you in your grief and not turn away from that and not try to fix you or jump in with a solution to just say, I am with you in this moment. And I see how much you're hurting and I see how sad and unbearable or whatever it is, this is for you. And and I'm here, I'm here with you. That is lovely. So I know that um, one of the activities that you've started, and I know that is going to, you're trying to continue with Aubrey, Aubreyum is going on grief walks. Could you speak more about that? Because I think that is just such a wonderful concept. Yeah, I am so excited about this partnership. I really, really love it. And, you know, I do one-on-one work, but I also really like being in the community doing things because that to me is sort of where the building, the grief literacy really happens is more community engagement. And I also like giving people like different avenues to explore their grief. It doesn't always have to look like therapy or sitting on a couch or like, you know, speaking about what you're going through. So the grief walk 
is really an opportunity to be in nature, which I think most of us would agree, very healing, very grounding, very soothing, and just notice what it's like to be with your grief in nature. Like from the beginning of the walk, when you show up, how do you feel showing up? Maybe what's your grief feel like at the beginning? And then as you walk on these beautiful grounds, and I give like, you know, maybe some prompts along the way or some invitations along the way, but it's mostly meant to be a reflective walk. Just noticing how your grief might shift in your body as you're walking in nature, as you're looking at the trees, as you're stopping by the water. And as you're with these goats who are just, I don't know if you've been around the goat. Yes. To me, they're such a delight and they just bring me personally joy. I don't know if everybody has that experience, but to just notice when you open up to that, how that also helps you carry your grief a little differently. I can just definitely see like this journey through Aubrey and just like walking and reflecting. That is great. I love that. Yeah. And then, you know, at the end, we had a closing circle where people could share if they wanted to and talk to others. And so there's like really that community aspect. I think the walks for me give a chance to do so many things that our grief really wants. And one is to slow down because usually when we get into nature, we just slow down. Our breathing slows down, our pace slows down. And then there's the opportunity to offer ourselves maybe a little more softness because we're with the goats and we're surrounded by this beautiful place. And then there's community, like our grief really needs community and we're such an individualistic society and we feel like we have to muscle through and shoulder all these things on our own. But really in so many other cultures, grief is not something that's done alone or in isolation. There's a very communal aspect to it. And so that's really also an important piece that I like to lift up. You're bringing all these different ways that people can kind of sit with their grief and respond to it and, 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 and just think about it and just, and, and just be in holding space for it. And, uh, I know we're in the holiday season now, right? And I was just wondering if you had tips from your from your perspective of how how people could handle grief during this time or how you might uh talk to a client or to someone you're you're in community with to handle grief during this time because sometimes it's hard. It is really hard. I'm always mindful um, at this time of year of how tricky it can be for people to navigate grief. And so how I came to this work sort of indirectly, because I never knew I would get here, is that my dad died and there was another father figure in my life who died in consecutive years. And so I have always been a big Christmas person. I love this time of year, but ever since those losses, I can feel sort of a resistance in my body every time we get closer to the holidays. And so I think one of the things that's really important is to honor what your body is telling you. It's so easy at this time of year to just go along with sort of 
all the festive things we usually do or the frenzy of like, oh my gosh, got to go shopping, got to go to this person's party, got to do all the things. But grieving, you know, it's a full body experience and we might be too exhausted or overwhelmed. So it's okay to press pause or it's okay to say, no, you don't have to do all the things you normally do just because that's what's done. Like really honor the impulses that your body is giving you to slow down, to rest, to bow out of things. Um, and, And that doesn't mean, you know, you can't have joy and moments of celebration and beauty. The other thing people do is sort of make themselves feel guilty if they're having that, like they're somehow betraying their person who died or betraying their grief in some way. But joy is part of the whole grief experience. And you have to allow yourself to feel joy in order to also be present to your grief. So if joy comes to you, I'm like, by all means, seize that and ride that wave, that moment for as long as it's here, because then the next wave could be the wave of sorrow or whatever else. So definitely embrace joy when it's here. And also find ways if you are missing someone who's died to weave them into your holiday, like make space for them, whether you light a candle in their honor next to a photo of them, or you bring out some objects that were special to them, or you make a special recipe that they always made, or you volunteer where they volunteered or donate, you know, in memory of them some somewhere that would have been meaningful to them. Or like have story shares, you know, when family gets together, what are the stories you can tell about this person? What are the jokes? What are the songs that you can play? Like, what are the ways that you can bring them really close to you? You know, one of the things that I do for myself, I always say I take walks with my dad, which might sound like crazy to people, but I I will go on a walk and I'll just be like, Hey dad, want to come with me? And it's become something where I actually do feel his presence because I've done it enough times. And it's not, you know, like we're walking along and it's this like overt, like, Oh my God, what is this woman doing? (laughs) I just feel him with me. And it's a way for me to be with him in the moment. So I also tell people to just trust what comes to them. You may have ideas that feel crazy or maybe too woo-woo or like, oh my God, am I nuts for thinking this? But sometimes that's also maybe like your loved one tapping you on the shoulder and being like, hey, this would be a really good way for us to connect right now. And I really love that. So don't sort of limit what you think connection has to look like. So many good ideas. And is there any other like, coping or coping mechanism or technique that you would, that you, I mean, you really encapsulated a lot right there, but that, that you would think about as, as these days uh, are growing shorter and shorter as winter solstice is coming upon us. I know. And I'm so not a winter person. (laughs) (laughs) This is not my favorite time of year by any means. I think get cozy, make yourself cozy. Um, People often think that there is no room for pleasure in grief, Mm. but really allow yourselves the things that bring you pleasure. And these don't have to be grand extravagant things. Like, you know, if you really love just curling up on the couch with cozy socks and a blanket and like your favorite book or TV show, like do that. If it's 
hot cocoa and your favorite treat. You know, if you do like going for walks in the wintertime, pleasure is one of the ways that we drop into our bodies. And so much of why we avoid our grief is because we're not in touch with what's happening in our bodies. So allowing ourselves pleasure also creates more space for us to feel and honor our grief. So don't turn away from the things that bring you pleasure and also like really lean into the practices that you find nourishing that support you for some people it might be meditation or yoga or dance or journaling our grief wants somewhere to go some place where it can be held you know there's this expression in grief where it's our grief is love with nowhere to go. And while I understand that expression, there's a part of me that's like, yes, but you can give it somewhere to go. It just wants to live outside of you. So get it out of you in dancing, in writing, in making art, in whatever it is. You know, if you don't have a practice, maybe start trying some different things and see what feels good to you, but really build in those intentional practices so you have pockets Oh my gosh, it's snowing. Sorry. I just <laughs> that is great. Yeah. I just saw this like white out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> even though, even though we may not like winter, the that first those first snows are pretty pretty yeah. delightful. <laughs> yeah, so I just have a practice if you can that really gives you a dedicated space to be with yourself and your grief and what might be coming up for you or what you might need to listen to that's harder to hear when you're sort of caught in all the noise and frenzy of the holidays my practice is called this hallowed wilderness and sometimes people ask me how i came to that name and it's because i feel like grief is really a wilderness it's like it is just mysterious and unknown and scary at times, but there is something sacred about it if we're willing to lean into it and make space for it. So this hallowed wilderness, um, and that's this and hallowed, H-A-L-L-O-W-E-D wilderness.com. And I'm on social media at those handles as well. So Instagram at this hallowed wilderness, Facebook at this hallowed wilderness. And my email is Nyla, N-A-I-L-A at this hallowed wilderness.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Gosh, you're so welcome. It's Principal Alia Dickerson's first year at John B. Kelly Elementary School right here in Germantown. And we got a chance to sit down with her and talk about her experiences so far and her ideas on community collaborations. My name is Alia Dickerson. I am currently the proud principal of John B. Kelly Elementary School in the school district of Philadelphia. This is my first year as principal at John B. Kelly. I previously served as the principal resident and worked alongside the previous principal, which was Dr. Presley. Prior to coming to J.B. Kelly, I was assistant principal and professional learning specialist in the school district of Philadelphia. Wonderful. So this is your first year. Yes. 
it is my first year. Um, a lot of neighbors, and and I mean more than a, a couple, have told me, oh, you need to meet the new principal at Kelly School. <laughs> and they really wanted me to talk and check in with you. So obviously, people are very excited about what what's going on over at the school. Yes, we have a lot of great things happening here. Um, we're a K-5 school. However, we are a mighty school. We have about 350 students in our school from K to five. We have a lot, a lot of different partnerships. We have a lot of great things going on and we're just excited to be in the neighborhood and be a resource to the neighborhood and collaborate with the neighborhood in support of our students. So Ms. Dickerson, what were some of the goals you went into when you started at Kelly School? So one of the main goals was around attendance. Previously, you know, this was an area that um, not only is a priority area for the school district of Philadelphia, but historically for our school, making sure students and staff are coming to school every single day. And so, you know, with our students, if they're here, then they're learning. Um, so we're really excited to have various different uh, attendance initiatives. Um, the school district has the Achieve Today, uh, Achieve Today initiative. And so we want to make sure that we allow our students to be celebrated when they come to school every day. They feel loved when they come here by their teachers and the staff, and they make those meaningful connections that we know is so very important for them to come to school. Um, and when they're here, they're learning. Our attendance um, has increased cumulatively for our students that have attended 90% of the time. So we are are seeing some increases in that area. Um, so that definitely is one of the goals that I, you know, set for myself um, and, and for the school to make sure that our students are here receiving instruction. Um, the other goal was around um, the implementation of the new math program. Um, we have a new math program called Illustrative Math. It's a problem-based uh, math program where um, the teachers collaborate and they are in more of a facilitator stance with the, with the students. We really want to make sure that the instruction that we are providing to students is standards aligned and there's an alignment with the standard, the objective of the lesson, and the tasks that students are participating in with, with the mathematics that's required of that grade level. And so, you know, we've been working very diligently with, you know, our staff with providing them with professional development through professional development days, also through professional learning communities and instructional coaching through our administrative team and our instructional leadership team. Big academic goals. Yes, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Did you have any fun or more social goals when you came into the school? I did. I did. Definitely around partnerships and making sure that we, you know, establish new partnerships and then also connecting more with other partners that we already have and reestablishing some of those. And so we have our Kelly librarians. They are in our building every single day supporting our students. Um, we have a fully functioning library at Kelly where students come in, they're able to select books. It's a whole electronic checkout system and it's all volunteer 
volunteer base. Our volunteers come in, they support the library, and then they also support the Reading Buddies program where students can be paired with volunteers. And we've seen a lot of community members come out to help support with that initiative and that partnership. We also have the Kelly Green Project where they support are outside uh, with the yard, with the garden. And so we've had family workshops that have been very successful where parents and families are able to come in and plant and be able to do scavenger hunts in the meadow that's in our front yard. We also are in the process of getting a new playground. Yes, we, <laughs> we are definitely in the process of getting a new playground. And so the Kelly Br Green Project has been helping to support the greenery in that area. And so we know we want to make sure that not only is a learning space, but also a green space that our students and also when we aren't in session, the community um, can take advantage of. Um, we also have a partnership with Johnson & Johnson. So this year, we actually um, have some new specialty programs, specialty classes that are happening here at Kelly. Um, we have STEM, we have digital uh, art, and we also have vocal music. Um, mm -hmm. Oftentimes, some of these classrooms, you, you wouldn't expect kindergartners to be participating in, but they're participating in these uh, activities. And so with our Johnson & Johnson partnership, they bring a whole STEM day to our school and they work with our students on STEM activities. Um, last year, they did a, family, uh, a STEM family fun night. Um, and so we're trying to also get that off the ground this year to bring that back to our school community because we know how important that is. Because last year, um, our fourth graders that took the science PSSA, we saw an increase of almost 40 percentage points on the science PSSA. Um, and so, you know, thankfully, you know, our partners are able to, you know, rally up volunteers to help support our uh, school goals, um, which are around, you know, attendance and um, academics. That's just so many cool partnerships and just like yeah. so many interesting intersections and ways to just provide a really holistic and whole environment for the kids and for the community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it takes a village, right? You know, I, I, for in terms of my leadership, I am a collaborator. And so, you know, I collaborate with staff, I collaborate with students, I collaborate with families, because I know how important it is for the community, for, you know, various stakeholders to um, support our school goals and to support our children. And so not one person can do it alone. I lead in collaboration. Now that you've been at the school for a little while, Yes. For this for this year. Are there any new goals or any new visions that you're that you've been thinking about? Well, I will say some of the things that I have been thinking about are around the STEM and making sure that how can we bolster that piece. We have uh, expanded our after school programming. We we actually have martial arts here um, that students can participate in. And so just bringing in other areas such as 
you know, the, the martial arts and the STEM and bringing other after school programming in, whether it's through our teachers or if it's through partnerships is definitely an area. However, I would like to take some time to, you know, review our data. I'm very data driven. So I want to make sure that, you know, whatever we do is, you know, led by the needs of our students through the data, whether it's quantitative or qualitative data. I'm just at the beginning stages of trying to flesh out all of my ideas, but definitely STEM and also our after-school programming. Ms. Dickerson, is there anything since you've been at Kelly School that, that has surprised you? What One thing that has surprised me, I would say... And it's hard because I was here last year. <laughs> so I will say not as a principal, but last year, one of the things that I would say really, really tugged on my heart. Um, and that's why I have so much love for Kelly is the, the school community. I can say that every staff member here really cares about the students and the staff they go above and beyond for the students and we and we do for the students whatever it is that they need we try to remove whatever barriers we can that's within our locus of control and so for me that not so much was a surprise but it really tugged on my heartstrings as a leader that whenever you know an individual is called upon to do something our staff they just do it uh, whatever it is for our students student may need a jacket we have it. They're there. And that was generous donations from our partners at Canaan Baptist, you know. And so making those connections with our partners and then also our staff being able to just go above and beyond and support our students, it really did tug at my heartstrings when I first um, came to Kelly last year as a principal resident. Yeah, that really makes a lasting impression. It does. And you, you know, I think there's a quote where people don't remember what you did. They remember how they, you made them feel. Right. And, and, and so, um, and I, I, you know, it escapes me at the moment of who said that quote, but I think that, you know, in terms of the experience, when people walk in our school, the goal is to make sure every person feels welcomed and every person feels a part of the Kelly community. You mentioned a lot about partnerships, about collaboration, really working with community and how strong the school community is. And I want you to just imagine, give us a an ideal vision that you see when you see neighborhoods and communities and how they could work together with public schools in their area. What's some of the ideal vision that you could see as a principal? Yeah, I think just knowing what the school goals are and figuring out what resources you have that can support with that, right? And it, it it's not like a one-time kind of conversation. You know, that, that has to be an ongoing conversation, right? Where you're able to collaborate and to flesh out where are some of the bumps in the roads? How can we support and, and really be able to provide supports to families, you know, not only just through academics, but also socially, right? So how can we pull on the resources of our neighborhood? Because like I said, it's a village, right? And so um, oftentimes, you know, community members will email, you know, 
different events that are going on in the neighborhood. And we blast that out to our families, you know, um, and share that with our families. And so not only, you know, is it an ongoing conversation in terms of the academics, but it's also an ongoing conversation with the social events that are happening because we want to make sure we are um, supporting the whole child, right? Um, not just academics, but behaviorally and social emotionally. And so, you know, it's, I think the first thing is knowing the school goals, developing that partnership, sharing when things are happening in our school, you know, beginning of the year, back to school, first day of school, we had so many partners out there <laughs> cheering our kids on as they entered the school, you know, just something small to make kids feel good about coming to school. We have our librarians that come, you know, every week to meet with kids. And so just trying to figure figure out what the school goals are, what your resources are to support the holistic child. And like I said, it's always an ongoing conversation. So I will say that kindergarten registration is coming up and we actually have, last year we had open house for our school. So People can schedule times to come in to visit our school, to, you know, see our students, to see our programming here if they're interested in having their kids attend our school. You know, it's just a matter of opening up the doors, having that collaboration and, and figuring out what the goals are and what resources you have to, to fit that. Because some resources, like I said, you know, we have different partnerships that offer different resources, but if anybody is interested and want to collaborate, you know, we, we definitely want to be able to, to, to have that happen um, with our school community. And if you are a parent and you're interested in seeing our school, like I said, we have a lot of great things going on. We had uh, we actually received a grant from the school district for a new digital literacy lab. And so, yes, it's all brand new. Uh, the whole total renovation of the classroom. We have a digital literacy teacher that goes over internet safety. They do um, some robotics. They do coding, that type of thing. And that's in addition to our STEM teacher. So we have a lot of different programming and a lot of different um, things for our students to get active in. Um, but once again, it's just a matter of people coming to visit, to share ideas, to share what resources they have. And if there's a need here, just trying to figure out how we can um, get certain initiatives off of the ground. So just reminding also the neighborhood and the community that Kelly School is there and they're yeah. doing things. And Bring your kids. Check out what's going on. Absolutely. And just start for school. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we have, um, like I said, kindergarten registration opens up next Tuesday. Um, but, you know, we've had, you know, preschools come to visit our school. You know, we've had parents come to visit our school. And so, you know, we just want people to know the great things that are going on. You know, what, what, kindergarten classroom, you know, has digital art, <laughs> but we have it here at Kelly. And so it's definitely something to be proud about for our students because it's all about exposure um, because, you know, we want to make sure our kids are college and career ready and what better time to expose them to, you know, vocal music, instrumental music, digital art, digital literacy, 
um, STEM, you know, we're already doing math and reading and science and social studies, but how can we tap into the things that a kid really loves so they can thrive academically, socially, and behaviorally? Ms. Dickerson, is there anything else you want to add that you want the community to know or that, that you just want the city of Philadelphia to know about your school, about Kelly School and our school here in Germantown? I just want people to know that we're here. You know, we are here. We are working diligently. All of our scores have gone up for ELA, PSSA, and math PSSA, um, science PSSA, you know. So everyone, everything is on an upward trajectory here. And so we just want to keep the momentum going. And we also want to make sure that we include all of our stakeholders in making sure, because like I say, not one, one person can do this work. We have to be able to collaborate to uh, achieve these goals. Um, and so, you know, this isn't just a one person job. This is a, a, a job of many, a village. Um, so, you know, I hope that, you know, people are interested in our school community and in our school and supporting our school goals. And it's my hope that they help our Kelly Eagles soar to excellence. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time and opportunity. Well, Germantown, it is about that time. If you want to share story ideas or information with the Germantown Info Hub, please email gtown.infohub at gmail.com. And you can also keep up with us on social media at Gtown Info Hub on Twitter and Instagram and Germantown Info Hub on Facebook. Additionally, you can read our stories at germantowninfohub.org. And we encourage listeners to text the Equally Informed Philly text line, which is another program under Resolve Philly. It allows Philadelphians to access information regarding Philadelphia services. The Equal Info Line is a free bilingual English and Spanish question and answer texting service that provides subscribers with vetted local news and resources. To ask questions, text Equal Info, which is two words, to 215-910-4040 or type in joinsubtext.com slash equalinfo215 on your web browser. Equally Informed also supplies a community-driven print newsletter that's available at health centers and libraries all over the city. And that is about it. Once again, I'm Rashida Jamu, the reporter for the Info Hub. And I'm Maleka Fruin. Thank you to our guests for speaking with us today for today's show. And as always, thank you to our neighbors for always listening and engaging and allowing the Info Hub to serve you. And until next time, good night, Germantown. Good night, Germantown.